0: Hey, my name is Colton, I'm one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing good today? Super convincing. This is unbelievable. I can just feel the energy in here today. Hey, as, as you just saw, and as Andrea mentioned a moment ago, in two weeks uh, we have an opportunity to make a difference through one of our global partners in El Salvador. And one of the things that we, we always desire as a community is to simply lean in and ask God how He would have you participate in this opportunity. And so the reality is, is that what, what we don't want to do is something outside of what God has specifically for us to do, but we do believe that this is an opportunity that God has presented to us that we need to lean into, but then as individuals within the larger church community, we just simply want you to take some time over the next two weeks and just pray and say, God, how would you have me participate in this? Is there a child or two that you want me to, to sponsor? Then, of course, in two weeks, as, as Andrea in the video I just, just mentioned, we'll We'll present that opportunity on June, June the sixth. Well, hey, I've got a just a quick update that I wanna I wanna share with you all. And in fact, uh, we are currently right now. As many of you know, actually, I should probably begin by by simply saying that that we own about 12, 12 acres of land off of Africa Road, and we are currently in the process of talking with some contractors or with a contractor rather and and an architect to discover what it would look like. To, uh, to build what we would kind of identify as like a phase one, what we oftentimes are kind of internally referring to as everything but Sunday space for us. And so this wouldn't be what we do on Sunday mornings, but it would give us the opportunity to expand what we're doing for Ethos Youth, which we are just out of room with where we're currently hosting youth, as well as everything we're doing for young adults, our justice and, uh, and outreach projects like grocery giving, some other things, and also just be an opportunity for others within our community to take advantage of the space that we're hoping to build there as well. We've been in conversations with people, uh, with some of the leaders of Young Life, and let them know, hey, hey, we really want to create this space with you guys in mind as well. And so the reason why we're sharing this with you is because we're in these talks. We just wanted to make you aware of it, but we do not have much details to share. Many of you are familiar with the property because we've, we've hosted a few things on there, especially last year when we couldn't gather indoors, and yet, as much as we don't have details to share with you today, what we're asking is that you would simply pray. Pray that we would have the wisdom as we navigate these conversations, and just pray that the right relationships and opportunities would present themselves so as we continue to move forward. We'd really be able to kind of discern and lean into God's best uh, concerning this, this phase one opportunity that we're kind of leaning into. Is that cool? Would you pray along with us today? Is that all right? Okay, that was a little bit better energy. Thank you, thank you. We're, we're excited about it, and and hopefully at some point in the near future we can we can have a few more details to actually share, and it would feel a little bit less anticlimactic. And so at this point, just simply asking that you would pray along with us, and, and that would mean that mean the world that mean the world to me. So thank you for doing that. Well, hey, we are we are just beginning to conclude our series that we've been in called, What Does It Mean to Be Human? In fact, we've been in this now, I believe this is week number seven, and next week we're going to conclude and kind of wrap the whole thing up and hopefully kind of put a bow on some of what we've been discussing as it relates to God's plan for work, rest, and in life, and, and over the last few weeks, is we've really been unpacking what God's plan is for our work. The thing that you do tomorrow morning, whether paid or unpaid, and the importance of what God has planned for you. Sometimes we can think that, well, my work isn't that important, and that's just not true. I actually would say that's a lie from the enemy. God has a significant plan for you as it relates to the way in which you are building culture, if you were here in the earlier weeks of our series, right where you are working, right where you find yourself tomorrow morning or Wednesday afternoon or whatever, whenever it may be. And last week, we, we began to identify, though, that if we lean into God's plan for work, there's a danger to it. We've been talking about all the good in the plans that God has for our work, for our vocation, for our calling, but then we also identified, but there's a danger to it, too, as well. And that danger is something that psychologists refer to as the, the hedonic treadmill, which is simply a, kind of a, a psychological way of saying the idea that the more you get, the more you want. And we identify that all of us have the propensity to fall prey to the whole work more, buy more, repeat cycle of life. If you're here, you, you may remember this. If you weren't, you can catch up on podcast or, or YouTube or through our, through our website, whichever way you prefer. And I would encourage you to because I really believe this is something that God is calling us as a, as a church community to, to lean into. This whole idea, what does it really mean? To be human, like, what's God's plan for my work and rest? What I do with the majority of my, of my life? And so we, we identify that we've, we need to lean into two things, two things in order to ensure that we don't fall prey to this. And I guess I should say it like this. We all already are falling prey to this, so we need to therefore lean into these two things as the antidote that God gives us to ensure that our work honors God. And the first one we said last week is we need to learn how to handle our money well. And without getting into too much detail, we simply said that there are, there are two lifestyles that we need to adopt. The one is a lifestyle of simplicity, the other is a lifestyle of generosity. Now we introduced this second point last week, but we didn't get into any of the details, and this is where I want to begin today. We also need to learn how to adopt, or rather how to, how, we need to learn how to Sabbath well. We need to learn how to rest. Can everybody say Sabbath with me, everybody say Sabbath, Sabbath. Now, Now if you're anything like me, And hopefully you're not. Hopefully you grew up in an environment where you were taught some of this stuff. Maybe you're newer to church and so you probably therefore weren't taught this, but I grew up in church and I wasn't even taught about Sabbathing or what it looked like to rest, and the fact that God actually wants to invite us and give us not just permission, but actually receive the gift of rest of slowing down, disconnecting, unplugging, that's actually part of God's plan for life. Now hear me. If you fall asleep today, or I do something or say something that offends you, which could happen—let's just throw that out there right from the beginning, I don't want to try to, but it could happen—and you end up leaving today, let me give you just the point of what I want to stress today. You have permission from God to rest about as anticlimactic as I can make the climax of our conversation today, you have permission to rest. And so I want to I talk today from a message entitled, So God Rested. He Rested. Uh, maybe you're like me, and you've, you've noticed this. Maybe you've even been in conversations recently where you've experienced this. Maybe you yourself have been on either side of this conversation, but generally speaking, I've noticed that a lot of greetings, the way in which we greet one another, looks something like this. Hey! How are you doing? It's been a while since I've seen you. How have you been? Oh, me? I've, I've been good. I've just been so... Tired. Busy. Yes. But I've just been so, I've been so busy, to which then the flip side of that is the person who initially asked the question, feels like they have to one-up the other person by explaining how they've been busier than the person who just described how busy they are. Oh, you've been busy? Oh, yeah, no, I can totally relate. I've been so tired, I've been so busy myself, which then we kind of get into this, this like competitive match, if you will, where we're trying to determine who's been busier than the other, almost in one sense, like we have determined our own self-worth based on how busy we are. It's like our identity, our importance in life, almost rests upon whether or not I'm busier than you, whether you're busier than me. And even when we're not busy, we feel like we have to be busy, which is kind of ironic, right? Because busyness is like the one of the 10 commandments that we brag about breaking. Isn't that weird? And yet God actually gives us permission to receive his gift of rest in life. I, I love what Solomon says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we discussed like the good, the great, and the God buckets of our life? What Solomon is saying here is unless what we're doing as a part of that God bucket in life, it's all, it's all just kind of... For nothing like it's just it's in vain unless the Lord watches over the city the guards stand watch in vain in vain You rise early and you stay up late toiling for food to eat for God. He grants sleep To those that he to those that he loves You know that mental health professionals actually have a legitimate diagnosis today known as hurry sickness Like, it's a real thing. Like, I'm not making it up. In fact, maybe you're in that profession, and you've heard of this, They define it like this. It's a a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time, and so they tend to perform every task faster, and they get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Now we say it often. We're not a perfect church, but we are an honest church. Can we just talk for a moment about the fact that all of us, probably in the last week, in the last seven days, can say, oh yeah, 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 I might be diagnosed with hurry sickness. In fact, I saw one article from Psychology Today, it was referencing hurry sickness, and it said really kind of the three basic signs as to whether or not you can identify best if this is something that you relate with or something that you should be diagnosed with. It says there's kind of three things. The first one is you move to another checkout line because it's shorter. You count the cars in the stoplight and move to the shorter lane. Or you multitask to the point that you forget one of the tasks. Now, maybe you're not hurry sick. But most of us can probably identify with all three of these, at least all the men. Maybe the women in here, you're like 50%. My wife's like, babe, I choose the longer line because I just enjoy the peace and quiet without the kids in the car. You know what I mean? But like for a lot of us, though, I count the cars and I find the shortest one. I have even identified which lights stay green longer and which ones are red. And those are the ones I try my best to avoid on my route home. Anybody else with me? Can anybody else relate? Thank you, Fritz, for connecting with my hurry sickness diagnosis this morning. I, I, I shared this in first service, and I wasn't originally planning on sharing it, but the reality is, is that, that hurry sickness, it, it is a legitimate diagnosis, and yet a lot of times we, we kind of make light of it, though, as well. We're like, yeah, okay, so we're in a hurry, yeah, okay, so we're busy, like, but what's the, what's the big deal? Well, I can remember about eight years ago, I was I was in a room with... I was in a room with somebody at the, at the end of a conference, and there was a pastor whose, whose name, if I said it right now, a lot of you, many of you would be, be pretty familiar with him. And then, and then there was also an athlete in the room as well, and this individual, I would say the vast majority of you would, would definitely be familiar with, with him. It was the end of the conference, it was the last night, it was probably about 9 o'clock in the evening, and some of us were getting ready to go play basketball afterwards at a, at a local gym, and this pastor was trying to get this athlete to come play with us, and, and the pastor said, hey, why don't, you come, why don't you come play ball with us tonight? And th- this guy who had just recently kind of committed his life to Jesus, just recently started following Jesus, was trying to implement some disciplines in his life, some disciplines of his faith, and he said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. i got to get up early in the morning. My flight leaves at around 8 o'clock, and I want to spend some time just reading and, and praying and, and just doing the things that we're all like, yo, that's, that's awesome, man, like, I love that you're doing that. He said, so I'm sorry, I have to say no to that opportunity. I've been pretty busy lately. To which then the pastor said, Oh, you've been busy? Oh, let me tell you about my schedule. He starts bragging about all of the places he's been, the people he's seen, the places he's preached, the opportunities he's had, in the flights, in the challenging schedule that he's been adhering to. And, and be, be careful there, table, you're in my way. And, 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 and next thing you know, like, this guy's starting to feel kind of bad at the same time he's standing his ground. He's like, no, I'm really sorry. Like, i got to get home to my family then, and I want to give the best of me to my family, so i gotta get some, I got to get some rest. He was really saying these things. The pastor just kept, kept kind of heckling him, and, well, sure enough, the guy goes back to his hotel. We go play ball that night, and I don't see either one of them for, for quite some years. Well, just about a year ago then, this pastor was, was in the news because he, he had been caught in an ongoing affair. And and eventually he came out and he was repenting and trying to rebuild and repair relationships and and through a mutual friend I, I caught wind that that he often was saying, and he's like, I got my life and my schedule got so far out of control. I was ignoring God's signals to me that I was just too busy, and I literally became numb to the things that used to convict me. And next thing I knew I I made some pretty grievous mistakes. Now, here's the deal. Maybe you're not gonna do something like that. But, but I do know this, and I, and I agree with this, that Corey ten Boom, she, she said this in the mid 20th century. Some of you are familiar with her writing. She said, if the devil cannot make us bad, he's, he's gonna make us busy. Busy really is not part of God's plan. For your life, it's so it's so much better than that. Re- Ruth Haley Barton, who wrote a fantastic book, really really brilliant book. She's a she's a pretty well known Christian psychologist today. She wrote a book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. If you're interested in it, I would highly recommend it. And, and in it, she identified ten signs that you're moving too fast through life. See, the first one is you just kind of be- grow. You you just kind of become a bit irritable, right? Like you're moving so fast, you just kind of uh, little things irritate you that maybe didn't irritate you before. You become hypersensitive. Things start offending you, maybe didn't used to offend you. Like this happens in my marriage all the time, where Courtney's like, babe, whoa, chill out. And I'm like, yeah, no, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get through this so fast and move on to the next thing, I become hypersensitive. You, you become, a bit, become a bit restless, like you can't just sit still, or if you can sit still, you can't keep your phone away from you for too long. And if your phone isn't in your hands, you feel really uncomfortable because you're just, you're a bit restless, you're compulsive, you compulsively overwork. Even when the project's done, you just, you find something else to, to work on, you become numb. Like we spoke of just a moment ago, you have escapist behavior. You escape to binge-watching Netflix or Hulu or playing video games. Next thing you know, it's like the 13th episode, it's 3 a.m., and now you're more exhausted than you were before, and the whole reason you tried to escape to begin with was because you wanted some reprieve, but that reprieve turned into even further exhaustion. You You become disconnected from your identity and your calling. A really close friend of mine, he, he pastored the same church for nine years, and he started when he was 26. He was pretty young when he, when he started the church, and nine years into it, he, he just became so exhausted, so tired that he actually quit his job, took another position. He exited pretty healthily, transitioned it pretty well, and, but then three years later, which leads us to present day, he, he recently told me, he said, Jordan, he said, it's honestly one of the biggest regrets of my life that the only reason why I disconnected was because I was just too tired. And so I I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't even know how tired I was. But I disconnected from my identity and my calling, which is where a lot of us find ourselves. We don't even know how exhausted we are. I remember one of the first times that I went on a real vacation, like a vacation where I completely shut off. I, I mean, I turned off my email, I shut down my phone, and I literally got a flip phone during that vacation, because so I just didn't even want the, I didn't even want the, the temptation to lean into to connecting again. I knew that I needed it, and others in my life were saying, Jordan, you, you really should try this. And it was by about day four, Courtney was telling me, she's like, babe, you are like yourself again. It's like I reconnected to my true identity and my calling, but I didn't even know that I was disconnecting from it. Number eight, you're not able to tend to like the basic human needs of life, like, like eating well and exercise. You ever notice that when you get really tired, you tend to kind of binge eat as well? Like when I'm really tired, like next thing I know, I'm like, did I just go through that entire box of Cheez-Its? Yeah, I did. That's really awkward now, right? Like, number nine, you hoard energy. You kind of store it up. Number ten, you slip in your spiritual practices. Usually when we get busy as Christians, what's some of the first things that we begin to kind of, that begin to kind of exit from our lives? It's, it's reading the scriptures. It's prayer. It's healthy, life-giving community in small groups. I mean, that's probably the number one thing why people say they can't connect in a small group is because I'm just too Busy, and yet at the same time, we would all identify that our relationships really do determine the direction and the quality of our lives. Yet we don't make time for the most important relationships in our lives. Sometimes the first thing that exits our lives when we get really busy is church. I don't know if I really got time for that, so we kind of put some of those things that probably are the more important things in our lives, but we put them on the back burner. Why? Because because we're just too busy. Now, I came across, in fact, a friend of mine sent this to me about a year ago, as I started to kind of journey in what it would look like to really kind of adopt and receive God's gift of rest in my life. I, I was sent this article from, from, a, from a professor at the Charleston University School of Business by the name of Michael Zigarelli, and since then I've kind of been following some of his work. But he did, a, he did a study of 20,000 Christians in North America, and he identified that the number one thing that distracts Christians from their faith is busyness. In fact, he concluded by saying this, it may be the case, listen to this. That one, Christians are simulating a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and then the hedonic cycle begins again. Have you not seen this play out, maybe, if not at least in your own life, in the world around us? Especially that, number four, we start to become more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about the way in which we should or shouldn't live. Instead of leaning into God, we become so busy that we just fall prey to doing the same thing that we see the world around us doing. It's not always necessarily a sin, that's not what I'm implying. It's just not God's best. It's just not God's gift for your life. Now, there's two things that I want to just scratch the surface. I'm going to give them to you pretty quickly today as we begin to, as we kind of begin to close. There's there's two things I want us to lean into, and we're going to lean even more into this in the fall as we kind of go on a journey together to become an emotionally healthy church. We're going to spend some significant time this fall to unpack some of what I'm going to talk about now and a whole lot more because the reality is, well, truth be told, I don't want to talk about the fall anymore because we just hit the summertime, and let's just enjoy summer, right? But, but the reality is, is about two and a half years ago, just two weeks after, after Ethos had just begun, I found myself so exhausted leading into that season. I was just mentally, emotionally, physically, I was just drained. I, I, I felt like I had nothing else to give. In fact, at one point, it was a Tuesday morning, and I was at home, and, and it was pretty early, and we were getting the kids ready for school, and Courtney began to recognize my wife, she began to she began to notice like babe something's off. And I just started to get I just started to kind of chirp back like I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Eventually we get the kids off to off to school and 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 I I don't even know what happened, but I sat down in in our kitchen, I'm on the floor, and she starts again to talk to me about, babe, something just seems off with you. It's been off for a number of months now, and I just got so frustrated, I kind of snapped. And she's like, "Babe, well, like, what's going on right now?" And I was on the floor, and I was—I had my arms wrapped around my knees, like I was literally in a ball. You know, people say like I was in a ball, like I was actually literally in a ball. And I was numb. I had no emotion. I didn't care what Courtney was saying. I—I—I I, I don't even remember the entirety of the conversation. Like, so much of it is kind of like escaped my my memory. But then all of a sudden, I just lost it. Like emotionally, I just lost it. And Courtney knew, she's like, I better call somebody. And so fortunately I've got some really great overseers in our lives, we refer to them as our ch- here, here at our church as a part of our church government, they're, they're what we call, it's kind of a, a churchy term for apostolic oversight. They're, they're men who, who really just kind of intentionally invest into, into ensuring that the health of our church is, is good. And, and, and she called some of them and they called me and they're like, Joy we gotta figure this thing out. And that led me on a journey to reclaiming what I would say is a healthy rhythm in my life. Now, I'm still on this journey, but I want to introduce some things to you today, and we're going to, again, we'll unpack these a whole lot more in the future as a church, because really as a church, our our goal is not to grow numerically. Our, sorry, our goal is to grow in health. We want to grow healthy, because healthy things grow, but growing things are not always healthy. And so let me let me unpack just two things for us today, and kind of scratch the surface. The two things, the first one is to slow down. We have got to end- Individually take personal responsibility. This is about you, not your husband, not your friend, not your kids, not your mom, not your dad. You've got to personally take responsibility. Say, I'm gonna engage in the present or be present in the present. I love how John Mark Comer says, hurry is incompatible with love. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Have you noticed that nobody in your life, yourself included, nobody wants the busy dad? Mom, husband, wife, friend. I'd venture to say that as you were trying to discover like hey, what would be a good church for me, my family, myself as an individual, me, my friends. I bet you that nowhere on your list was a busy pastor. That nobody actually wants the busy person and yet we all feel this inclination, this propensity to prove our worth by by becoming more busy. But nobody wants that. Why? Because here, the reality is, is that our capacity to receive and give love is dependent on our ability to engage in the present, to be present in the present. I love what P. Scazzaro says. He's written so much on this. He says loving people well is the defining characteristic of a mature Christian. Woo! Let that sink in. God, help us to get that right there. But we got to learn, and the only way that we can love people well is to learn to be engaging or present in the present. In fact, when Jesus was asked, hey Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? There's 600-some commandments, but what's like, what's the best of the best, the cream of the crop? He responded in Matthew 22 by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've got to learn to love. again. This goes back to learning how to be engaged and present, in the present. Because I would argue, and I think you'd probably agree, that you can't love people well when you're in a hurry. I think this is the reason why Jesus walked everywhere that he went. Because the disruption to Jesus wasn't really a disruption, was it? It was actually just another opportunity to love somebody that he wasn't planning on loving in the first place. There's this really cool story that that I heard about between John Ortberg and Dallas Willard. Now Dallas Willard passed away about ten years ago and both these men are brilliant and just just like some of the I've never met either one of them, but but just so much of their work has challenged me on this particular subject. But Dallas Willard is like, he's just like the man, right? Okay, so, so the story goes that John Ortberg was asked by Dallas Willard, who was mentoring John, that he said, hey John, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what word would you use to describe him? And John Ortberg was kind of struggling and and he knew that there was a right answer that Dallas Willard was looking for, and he just couldn't seem to figure out what that one word would be. And eventually he said, Dr. Willard, sir, how would you describe Jesus in one word? And the story goes that, that Dallas kind of gently leaned back in his chair, and he said, relaxed. If I could describe Jesus in one word, it would be relaxed. If somebody were to describe you in one word, do you think it would be relaxed it wouldn't be for me and yet that was a description of jesus and i think that that's what jesus is calling us to embody i want to invite you into this place where you can actually experience my peace my joy which all comes as a result of living at my at my pace let me just give you four really quick things, and this is not even close to an exhaustive list. This was just kind of an attempt to make this a bit more, bit more practical. Here's four ways that you can engage in the present beginning today. First is turn your phone on, do not disturb. Every night, uh, there's a setting on your phone, if you have any any smartphone, there's a setting on your phone that, that you can actually turn your phone on, do not disturb, at a certain time. It'll turn off at a certain time as well. At a certain time every night, and a certain time in the morning, my phone turns on do not disturb and then turns off do not disturb. Why? So that I can be present with the people who are the most important in my life, my family. We, we have a rule now that we adopted through the COVID season, through the quarantine season. No phones at the dinner table. Not allowed to have your phone at the dinner table. When you're meeting with somebody, I would challenge you, turn your phone or do not disturb, turn it upside down. Why? So that you can be most present and engaged in that moment. Why? Because when you are present and engaged, it makes people feel loved. And the goal isn't for them to feel loved by you. The goal is for them to understand why you love them the way that you do, because it's the way in which Jesus loves us. And so I challenge you to think about considering implementing some sort of a do not disturb mode or moment in your day. The second thing is, don't answer emails or texts after a certain time of the day. Like, choose to just shut down and shut off and kind of disconnect mentally and emotionally from all of the stuff that you had going on that day. Create intentional margin in your day. Like, maybe you would consider to uh, maybe put some more space in between your meetings. Or maybe you would even consider, like, after you drop your kids off somewhere, you got to rush to the next thing. Maybe, maybe the next thing can wait. Maybe it can. not I'm just throwing some suggestions, but maybe you can intentionally create some more margin so that when you're driving through the traffic, even, you're not, like, you know, telling people that they're number one, you know, while you're driving at the same time. You know what I'm saying? None of you would do that. I know that. That's a different church. Like, that's, that's adventure in Life point. That's the stuff that they do. That's not what Ethos does. Just kidding. You know I love those guys a lot. The, sec- the fourth one is learn to say no. Like, just be comfortable to say no. Like, Hey, can you hey hey, you want to come hang out on, on Friday after you got that thing? No. Hey, hey, you got some extra time I could really use? Nope. Like learn, now, listen, some of you need to learn how to say yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of you might be lazy and you may need a friend to kind of tell you which side of the tracks you fall on, but I'd venture to say that 90% of you need to learn how to say, how to say no. The best friends are the friends who you can say no to without any further need of explaining yourself. You know what I mean? Do you ever feel, you ever feel like, yeah, I feel like I have to do that all the time, like, no, I'm so sorry, I can't do that, here's why, and then i got to explain myself? Just become more comfortable, like, no, I'm so sorry, I can't make it, but I, I wish you the best or maybe I'll be praying for you, or whatever it may be, whatever it may be, be involved there, but just learn to kind of become a bit more comfortable. I hope that we could even lean in as a community here at Ethos just to be more comfortable with people just saying, no, it's, it's okay. Like now if you've got margin, say yes. But if you don't, identify in your own life, and here again, this is where this is best fleshed out with some friends to help best identify, like, where can I begin to implement some of these things? I would even challenge you, maybe for some of you, take, take hiatuses once a week from social media. I started doing this not too long ago. I just, I just don't get on social media on Saturdays anymore. I've noticed that I never get off of social media and feel better about myself. Ever. Ever. Like, I've never gotten on, scrolled through incessantly for 10 minutes, gotten off, and thought to myself, man, I just feel a lot better. I feel so much closer to God right now. It's unreal. It's never happened. And yet we all just kind of fall prey to just get sucked into that vortex of, like, restlessness. But maybe you can sit there, like, I'm just going to take, take some time and kind of rest from that. Now, the second thing I want us to look at in order to slow down, and this is where I'm going to close right here, we got to learn, we have to, learn to receive the gift of, of the Sabbath. It is a gift. I love what Moses says in Exodus 16, 29, the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. It's something that God, it's what he, he gives it to us as a, as a, as a beautiful gift. Like he's, and yet for so many of us, maybe we've never been taught on it, or we just choose not to open it, but Moses literally says, it's a gift that I want to that I want to give you. And it's introduced for us in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 2 it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work He had been doing, so six days He worked. And then on the seventh day, here it is, He rested from all of His work. In weeks 1 and 2 of our series we talked how God, or rather the creation stories, begins with God working, and then it ends with, with God resting. God rested. The God who never sleeps nor slumbers. He, he chose to rest. I want us to think of it like this, that God works, so we work. God rested, so we can rest. Listen to me, church. Work and rest, they live in a symbiotic relationship. Like, they're friends, not they're not enemies. In fact, they complement one another. And when we pair them together in an appropriate way, they make our lives well-rounded. They make our lives, they make our lives healthy. That's what they do. In fact, that term rested in Genesis 2 verse 1. It's, it comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which we later translated into English as the word Sabbath. That's where this term or this word Sabbath comes from. And it literally means to stop or cease, to be complete, and to, to celebrate to slow down just enough to say, God, I want to take a day, I'm just going to, I just want to celebrate what you've, what you've given me. Now, again, we're talking greater lengths about the Sabbath, but let me just, just kind of maybe hopefully I pray that this kind of intrigues you just enough to begin to implement some of this in your own life, but, but we got to understand that in Genesis 2-3, God, He says He blessed the seventh day and He made it holy. Now if you keep that in mind, think about the other days of the week that God blessed or made holy there are none. One day he blessed and made holy. That term holy literally means that he, he set it apart. He made it different than the other days. Why was it different? Because it was a gift to us. So he says, I want you to receive this This gift that I'm giving you for six days, I want you to wrestle with creation. I want you to, I want you to adhere, I want you to adopt my cultural mandate like we discussed. If you weren't here, you can listen back through the earlier weeks so that all of this begins to kind of holistically make sense, but I want you to begin to, I want you to take those six days. Build culture, but then on the seventh day or on a day of the week, it doesn't matter what day it is. Sometimes we elevate one day over the other. That's not what God is implying. He's, but he's saying, I want you to choose to rest. Because on the Sabbath, we we don't try to we don't just push through the day. We we kind of hit the slow mo button, if you will. We just choose to savor the gift of time that God has that God has given us. Now I would imagine that you know this to be true. That learning to implement a Sabbath is really, really difficult. Which is why God says in Exodus 20, I want you to remember the Sabbath day. You gotta, we're gonna have to do our work, church, and hold each other accountable to remember the Sabbath day. How? By keeping it holy, by setting it apart, by treating it different than the other days, than the other days of, of the week. It's, the Sabbath really is a day to remember that we are not God. It's a day that we choose to place our trust once again in God. It's a day that we take off and the world gets along just fine with us. The Sabbath is a day where we remember that we are not as important as we think we are. The Sabbath, just sort of like the tithe that we talked about last week that could be kind of a controversial thing in church, but but sort of like the way in which we say, God, I'm going to trust you with 10% and live off of 90, that's actually a way in which we show God that we trust Him. It really is. The same way that we trust God financially is the same way that we choose to trust God with our time. We say, God, I'm going to—I believe that you can do more through six days of work than I could do through seven days of work. Did you know that the Sabbath and kind of awkward but circumcision were the two <laughs> distinguishing characteristics of the Israelites in the Old Testament? God says, I want to separate you, and one of the ways I want to separate you from every other nation is by, th- by, by having you remember the Sabbath. Every other nation is going to toil for seven days, but I want you to only do it for six, and you're going to rest, and by doing so people are going to be like, wow, you're You're blessed, you you seem to have peace, you seem to have joy, and yet you seem to be content with with only working six days. This is weird. It's a distinguishing characteristic of a mature follower of Jesus. When, when, When I first even heard the term Sabbath, and first heard of people observing the Sabbath, I literally thought to myself, that's... That's like an Old Testament thing. That's part of the Torah, which is, which is similar to the first five books of the Bible, or the Old Testament law. And we're not under that anymore, Jesus has freed us of that, and so we don't need to obey the Sabbath. Like, like I'm going to work hard, I'm going to prove that, like, I could do something significant with my life by working harder than everybody else, and, and you probably maybe didn't say those same things but sensed or at least expressed yourself in that same way by, by never really learning to rest. Well. Well, thinking of the Sabbath in that way is a tragic misunderstanding of the gift that God has given us. Listen, you don't have to observe the Sabbath. You don't have to keep the Sabbath. It's not a sin. It's not. So if you need, like, freed from this, like, oh, crap, I've been sinning all this time. Like, no. Like, we probably all sin in other areas, but, but, listen, not observing the Sabbath, it's not a sin. It's just stupid. Like, you can eat concrete. It's not a sin. It's just stupid. You know what I mean? Like you can work six days straight and never sleep, like Josh Lyman on West Wing, my favorite television drama of all time, and it's not a sin. It's just stupid. It's just not—it's just not wise. I guess that was my offensive thing for the morning, saying that it was stupid, right? Some people are like, oh my gosh, did you just say stupid? Sorry. I apologize if you feel like I was calling you stupid. I'm calling myself stupid. It's just God gives us this gift and he wants us, he wants us to lean into it. And so not observing the Sabbath, it's, just like, it's like receiving this gift but then sitting on the shelf and saying, God, thank you for that. But I just don't think that's for me. I think that's for some other people who are lazier than me to which God is saying, no, no, no. That's for you to show me that you trust me and even more so so that you can lean into the pace and the rhythm that I've designed for you to lean into. As we close this thing out, the Sabbath is hard work, as you probably identified and as we've quickly just mentioned a moment ago, because productivity, is like it's, it's like hardwired within us. Like it's, just, it's kind of in our bodies, it's, it's kind of in our minds, it's kind of just, it's like it's like a drug in our, in our brains, because it's the way in which we just kind of see the world operate. We've got to go, 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 go. So the Sabbath, and learning to observe the Sabbath, even learning to engage in the present, it's hard work, and it's going to take practice, so, so don't get discouraged. And begin to talk about this with your wife, with your husband, with, even with your kids, with your, with your friends if you're single. Get, get together with some folks and say, hey, let's begin to hold each other accountable so that we can be in this thing for the long haul, so that we can give our best, the best version of ourselves to those six days, so that I can actually observe and reclaim the rhythm that God is calling me to. So let me give you just kind of how do you start a Sabbath, because a Sabbath is different than a day off. That's why God says it's holy, it's set apart, it's, it's a little bit different than that. So here's just kind of some practical ways that you can start to implement a Sabbath in your life. The first one is stop. Choose a day and a time where you're saying, this is the day, this is the time that I'm right right there, I'm going to have a hard stop. I'm going to shut things down, I'm going to—no more errands, no more work. No more connection to the things that I do all the other six days of the week. Now listen, you say, Jordan, that's not even feasible for me with my kids and the schedule. I get it. I get it. That's what I'm saying. Just start somewhere. Start, start somewhere. Begin. To, it's hard work. And you, you've got to. We all, a year and a half ago almost now, we all stopped. We all shut down. And what's happened now in the last three or four months, we've all sort of just kind of gotten back into that same routine, haven't we? And what's interesting is that all of us at one point a year ago were like, I'm not going back to that. And yet here we find ourselves again. Why? Because it's just part of culture. It's hardwired. in I remember a year and a half ago people were saying, do you think life will ever be the same again? I said, yeah, because we're Americans, and we just tend to just kind of fight for more and more and more. It's just what we do. Other countries may look different, but not here in America. We're going to have to learn to adopt this as a regular rhythm in our life. And the second thing is, learn to rest. Identify in your life what's restful to you, what's recharging to you. You know, my brother-in-law, he loves to golf. When he he Sabbaths, he likes to go golfing. I can't stand golf. Like, I was invited on this golf trip, and the guys are like, yo, this course is beautiful, it's gonna be amazing, it's like this three-day thing. And I said, no, that sounds like, that's hell to me. Like, I'm trying to go to heaven, bro, that's hell, okay? Give me a little bit larger ball, one that I can catch with my hands. I've got big hands, that little ball won't work for my hands. Like, give me something else. We can throw this to each other. We can shoot this in a hoop. I'm in. That sounds recharging to me. Recharging to me is the lake. Recharging to me is a park and outdoor with my kids. That's recharging to me. I used to think that working out was recharging to me. I'd learn it. It's not. I, I, I don't work out on my Sabbath. Because that, I used to think that was recharging to me. It's not. I've actually found that's draining to me. And so I'm going to take that off. Nope. What, so, but you have to see what's recharging to you, and you experiment with it. And you try it. And the third thing is delight. What do I mean by that? Like God's, God's intention for you was to actually enjoy his creation. That's why he put Adam in the garden. And he said, work it. Take care of it. I want you to enjoy it. So enjoy that day. Slow down. Like we said, kind of hit the slow-mo button, if you will. The fourth one is contemplate. Like take a moment and just contemplate God's goodness in your life. Like, I would encourage you on your Sabbath, don't ignore some of the practical spiritual disciplines in our, in our lives, like reading the Word of God in prayer, and maybe you're a little bit newer to faith, and you're a little bit newer to God, or maybe you're not even sure what you believe about God. I would still encourage you to Sabbath. You can ignore some of these spiritual things we're talking about, and God's still going to give you rest. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I would strongly encourage you that this is really important on that day. I used to think that Sabbath just involved, like, worshiping God all day, and I was like, who can do that? That's like that's like, the, like the mega Christian. That's not what God's asking of us. He's simply saying, lean into me. Just take some time, just contemplate my goodness. Enjoy my presence, enjoy my word. Pray about the things that are bothering you. Release them over to me so that you can enjoy the rest of, the rest of your day. And then lastly, just start somewhere. I think the goal is 24 hours, but, but maybe you can't start there. Well then start somewhere like, Jordan, I don't don't have 24 hours. That's okay. Okay. Maybe start with six. You're just going to shut down, recharge for six hours. I would, I would venture to say if you do, if you kind of just take an inventory of your schedule, you can find ways in which you can rearrange and you can start somewhere. I'm looking at Vinny, one of my best friends. He's walking out right now, and Vinny's on staff with us, and he's leaving the church as we speak. That's Terrible Vinny now. I'm just kidding. Vinny's, I'm sure, handling one of the million things that he handles. But Vinny and I were having a conversation just a couple weeks ago. I say, Vinny, you gotta you gotta take a day. When's your Sabbath? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. We start looking at his schedule, rearranging. There it is. Right there it is. Okay, but there's still one thing in here that I can't seem to figure out where else I can put that one thing. Okay, keep that one thing in there for now. Start there, and then we're gonna slowly begin to remove that one thing as as that becomes possible, but the goal is just to simply start somewhere. I don't Sabbath every week, and I hate that. I hate that I don't Sabbath every week because it's a gift, and I love opening the gift of the Sabbath, and it's one of the greatest treasures that I can give to my family, by the way, as well, but I'm continuing to live on this journey, and I'm inviting us to live on that journey, too. Walter Adams, I'm going to close right here. He was the he was the mentor of CS Lewis so you know that Walter Adams was like like one cool dude right here like he said to walk with Jesus is to walk at a slow unhurried pace it's to receive the invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11:28 where Jesus says come to me you're weary carrying some burdens i want to give you i want to give you rest because here it is it's the last thing there's a rhythm to the world the world has its own rhythm but god is inviting us to join him in his rhythm and when we receive the invitation of his of his rhythm in our lives we experience the fullness and the rest of jesus and it's the most beautiful beautiful thing and it sets us up as a church to show people who jesus is in the most practical ways and it sets us up as individuals to love people really really well